Matthew chapter 6, as you're turning there, let me tell you about Bertha Adams. I'll tell you about Bertha Adams. Bertha Adams was 71 years old when she died alone in West Palm Beach, Florida on Easter Sunday. The coroner's report, the cause of death, malnutrition. After wasting away to just above 50 pounds, her body could no longer sustain life. When the state authorities made their preliminary investigation of her home, they found what they called a veritable pig pen the biggest mess you can imagine. One seasoned inspector declared he had never seen a dwelling in greater disarray. Bertha had begged for food at neighbors' doors and had gotten what clothes she had from the Salvation Army. From all outward appearances, she was a penniless recluse, a pitiful and forgotten widow. But such was not the case. Amid the jumble of her filthy, disheveled belongings were found two keys to safe deposit boxes in two different banks in West Palm Beach. The discovery was unbelievable. The first box contained over 700 AT&T stock certificates, plus hundreds of other valuable notes, bonds, and solid financial securities, not to mention cash amounting to over $200,000. The second box had no certificates, just cash, a little over $600,000 to be exact. Bertha Adams was a millionaire and then some, yet she died of starvation. Now that is tragic. That's a tragic life, whether that was brought on by mental illness or the result of just a greedy heart, that is a tragic life. You could say that Bertha Adams, for all of her wealth, lived a wasted life. She did. But friends, this morning, I want to remind you, there are many ways to waste your life. Many ways to waste your life. And in the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where we have had our focus during our worship services is for several weeks, Jesus mentions very, very clearly two ways that you can waste your life. 
As a matter of fact, if you mark in your Bible, I might encourage you just Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, all the way down through the end of the chapter, you might just write over the top of that long passage, a wasted life, because that is Jesus' point. In this part of his sermon, Jesus says, in effect, don't waste your life. He's telling his disciples, people of the kingdom, don't waste your life. How can we waste our life? Well, last week in verses 19 through 24, he said, don't waste your life in living for wealth. He says, if you live for wealth, that's your motivation. You're wasting your life. But then Jesus continues. And you'll notice verse 25, therefore. He builds upon what he's just said. And he says, don't waste your life. Not just in living for wealth, but also don't waste your life by living in worry. By living in worry. Now, what is the cause of wasting your life in living for wealth and wasting your life by living in worry? What? What? brings together those two forms of waste. Or, or better yet, maybe to say it this way, how can you overcome those two forms of waste? Because let's be honest here, folks. Don't all of us struggle with this? Living for wealth, living in worry. What overcomes this gravitational pull that we have toward the earth and this life and this gravitational pull inward self-focused which causes us such worry what's the answer here's the answer Jesus gives and it's the title I'd like to share this morning here it is have faith in your father have faith in your father Jesus repeated a word 15 times in this message. 15 times in this famous Sermon on the Mount, he tells his disciples about their father. Now remember, no one had ever referred to God as his personal father Abba, dad, until Jesus. In the old covenant, he's the father of the nation Israel. But Jesus refers to him as his father and says, if you follow me, he's your father too. And again and again and again times 15 Jesus refers to God as Father. You'd think he's trying to get something across, wouldn't you? 
And so Jesus offers for worry this answer. Have faith in your father. Have faith in your father. Now, in doing this, I want you to notice he gives a warning and a welcome. A warning and a welcome. Jesus gives a warning about fretful living and a welcome to faith-filled living. That's the two points this morning. A warning about fretful living and a welcome to faith-filled living. Now, let's listen to Jesus as he gives a warning about fretful living. Jesus warns about worry. And perhaps there is nothing that robs Christians more of real life than worry. As a matter of fact, when I think about it, worry is a double robber. It's a double robber because worry robs us of our present and it robs us of our future. And when we worry and we're controlled by worry, not only are we robbed, but we're losers. When we're controlled by worry, we're two-time losers. We lose our peace in the present and we lose our faith in the future. Worry is a terrible robber. And when we worry, we are dreadful losers. And so Jesus knows our proneness to worry. We're prone to that. And so in some of his most kind, but his most stern words, these are kind words. You can hear, you, you can hear the gentleness in Jesus as he speaks these words, but you can also hear his firmness, can't you? He wants us, to avoid wasting our lives. That's his overarching theme. Don't waste your life in worry. And how does he say we can make sure we don't waste our life in worry? Verse 25, he says this, don't be anxious about your life. The idea anxious here is worry. And so Giving that as the overarching theme, don't be anxious about your life. Jesus gives illustrations. <laughs> he gives some living illustrations. And then he gives some what I call loving interrogations. Jesus asks questions. And how many of you know when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he needs information. When Jesus asks a question, it's not for information for him, it's illumination for us. And so he gives illustrations. Uh, don't you love the way Jesus just uses the most common illustrations? Here's the one that at the age of 12 stupefied the greatest theological minds of his age. As he reasoned with them about the scriptures in the temple. He's just 12 years old. But how did Jesus speak? Did Jesus show off his theological training? When he spoke? No, the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. Why? Because he spoke in words that could be understood. 
terrible thing to come to a worship service and leave scratching your head over what the minister said. Jesus wasn't that kind of preacher. Here's a living illustration. Look at verse 26, the first part. Jesus says this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. When, when, when the Lord calls us to, to a peaceful life, He wants us to live at peace. He says, look at the birds. Now, how many of you know that when Jesus calls us to a peaceful life and he gives birds as an illustration, he's not calling us to a lazy life. Birds are not lazy. (laughs) Not the living ones. (laughs) The others are called cat food. They're not lazy. Birds are not lazy, but listen, birds are not stressed out. Birds don't have to fly off and get a few sedatives. Birds don't have to schedule schedule therapy. And I will just tell you in passing that a lot that passes for professional therapy today is for the birds. I'll just say that. I love what an anonymous but insightful poet wrote. (laughs) Kind of got inside the brain of birds. And here's what he or she wrote. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the Robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. The point is, we do have a heavenly father. And that's the purpose of Jesus' illustration. And then he Ask the question, this, this kind of interrogation, if you would say, in love. Verse 26, having asked that question, giving that illustration rather, then he asked the question, verse 26, are you not of more value than they? See, Jesus is speaking and he's using the Proving of his point by arguing, so to speak, from lesser to greater. If God takes care of the birds, is he not going to take care of you, his kids, his children? Will he not care for his people? Why, the question itself is the answer, isn't it? My friend, when it comes to worry, I want to tell you what you need to do. Be a bird watcher. Be a bird watcher and be a little bird-brained. Our Heavenly Father will care for us. Be active. Be focused. Don't be lazy. 
But your trust is not in your ability. Your trust is in your Father and His love. Then Jesus gives another question of interrogation. First, He compares the birds, but then He he looks around at the crowd and he, He asks this question, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus' point is worrying can't add a moment to your life. Now, honestly, worry can maybe shorten your life. A physical influence of worry. But I will tell you this, whether worry can shorten the quantity of your life, I tell you what it will do, it will absolutely diminish the quality of your life. Your life will never be what The Lord wants it to be and what you would really want it to be by worry. Worry robs you of the abundant life. And again, again, Jesus shares another illustration. I mean, Jesus is trying to get this point across. And so he shares another illustration to express God's care and concern for us. Verses 28 and 29. And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they do not toil. They don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus' point is, there's not a king on the earth whose wardrobe is as beautiful as this field. And all of those flowers, Jesus said, are preaching a sermon to you. They're preaching a sermon. Look at those flowers in the field and Understand what that means. What are those flowers preaching to you? (laughs) I love what the great reformer Martin Luther said about this text. Here's what he says. Listen. Quote, it seems that the flowers stand there and make us blush and they become our teachers. Then he says this, thank you flowers, you who are to be devoured by cows. God has exalted you very high that you become our masters and teachers. (laughs) Only Martin Luther could have a quote like that. Maybe after he'd had a couple of good mugs full, okay, as he was known to. 
The question is this, with such master teachers flowering all around us, why don't we learn the truth to not waste our lives in worry? Jesus asks and answers it. He's asking, he's, he's, he's asking these questions. Why is this? Why is this? Don't, don't you understand how you can trust your heavenly father? But then, listen, he takes us to what the real problem is. That we've got to understand what is the real problem with worry. What's the real problem? The problem is this, verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little what? Faith. O you of little faith. This is the core issue that Jesus is addressing. The core issue he's addressing among his followers is to challenge them to have faith in their heavenly father. Faith is the opposite of worry. And the key to peace, which is living above worry, the key to peace is faith. Faith. You see, the depth of our peace is determined by the strength of our faith. Never forget that. The depth of our peace is determined by the strength of our faith. It's about faith. So then that leads us a little further. Well, where do you get strong faith? How do you work up strong faith? <laughs> That's the problem as well. Faith is not something you work up. Faith is something that happens in you when you look up. When you look up to the Heavenly Father, that is the answer. The word is focus. What is faith? What is faith? Faith is the focus of your soul. Faith is the focus of your soul. What is faith? Faith is the gaze of your soul. Where is your soul looking? Let's think about faith. What is saving faith? The Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith. Then what is faith that saves your soul? Well, Jesus helped the most religious man in his day to understand what faith is all about. The man came to him at night. His name was Nicodemus. I used to call him Nick at night. Nobody ever gets that anymore. 
especially over in the hub. It is I say that and it's just crickets, okay? Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he said, how, how can these things be? How, how can this happen? Can, is a man enter and his mom and born again? How, how can this happen? And here's what Jesus said. He said, it's like this, Nicodemus. This is what it is. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You remember that story? The Israelites had been bitten by vipers, snakes. They're dying. They're poisoned, sick. God told Moses to make a, a brass serpent, the very image of what was cursing them, lift it up on a pole. And God said, whoever looks on that Brass serpent will be healed. Why did the Lord God Jehovah do that that way? Jesus said this is why. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What did Jesus compare saving faith to? Looking. What is faith? Faith is looking to Jesus. Faith is when you stop looking in your own heart and tinkering with your own soul. Faith is when you stop looking to what you can do to make yourself right with God. Faith is when you stop looking to religion, what it can do, and teach you to earn your salvation. Faith is when you look to Jesus. And your hope is in Christ alone, who died your death that you deserved. Lived the life that you could not live. And God... Raised him from the dead. What is faith? The great preacher, writer, A.W. Tozer said it this way. Faith is the gaze of the soul on a saving God. That's where faith is. Do you have saving faith today? You say, I'm not sure, friend. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Look away from yourself. Look to Christ. And he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. How do you have living faith? Many of you here, I trust most of you here, by God's grace, you know you have saving faith. Do you have living faith? What's the source of living faith? Well, we're told by the writer of Hebrews, the source of living faith is this. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by all this great cloud of witnesses, the people who've lived by faith in the years gone by, what are we to do? We are to lay aside every weight, lay aside the sin that so easily clings to us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And how do we run that race? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Though he despised the shame, and now he has sat down the throne of God. How do you get living faith? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Christ. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. That's where peace comes from. Jesus gives us a warning about fretful living. And then I take just a moment to ask us to listen to Jesus as he gives us an offer. It's an, a welcome to peaceful living. A welcome to peaceful living. Do you want to live in peace? In this world you have tribulation, Jesus said, yes. But I give you my peace. Peace I give to you. Verses 32 to 34, Jesus shares how our focus on him and his heavenly father, our heavenly father, brings peace. We will stop wasting our life in worry when we focus on these three things Jesus said very quickly these three things Jesus said I want you to focus on remember these three things they will empower you to overcome worry what are they number one focus on a parent's love focus on a parent's love Verses 31, 32. Therefore, since your father does provide, therefore, stop being anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, here means pagans. Seek after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He says, your father, your heavenly father, knows you need these things. You can overcome worry if you remember your father's love, his concern. You see, worry causes us to become literal atheists. <laughs> We forget about God. How do you know God loves you? How do you know God's love you? How do you know that? Well, do you know because of circumstances? Circumstantial proof? 
Well, guess what? Newsflash. <laughs> Circumstances change. <laughs> Anybody bear witness to that? Circumstances aren't the proof of God's love. How about relational proof? Oh, my, my relationships. God's just, he's blessed me with all these relationships. And that shows that everything's right between me and him because I have this relational proof. You know what? Human relationships can fail at times. How about financial proof? Oh, I know whether the Lord really loves me. I just look in my checkbook. Or I go online. Check out the amount I have in my accounts. Finances can be lost. Finances can be lost. There are some of us here today... Your peace is determined by what the S&P 500 says, not by what God the Father says and His Son Jesus says. Some of us, our faith is determined by Dow Jones, not Jesus Christ. Finances can be lost. What kind of proof do we need? How do we know that God loves us? If it's not in my circumstances, it's not in my relationship, it's not in my finances, how do I know God loves me? It's sacrificial proof. <laughs> what are we told by the Apostle Paul? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also through him freely give us what? All things. You know what Jehovah Jireh means? Jehovah Jireh comes from a story where God spared Abraham's son. On top of that hill was a ram crowned with thorns. Isn't that amazing? God spared Abraham's Isaac, but he didn't spare his own. My friend, if God did not spare Jesus for you, do you think he's holy now? You think you can't trust him? Friend, we can trust the one who loved us so that he did not spare his own son. Peaceful living, how do we get that? By focusing on a parent's love and by having a prioritized loyalty. A prioritized loyalty. Verse 33, we could, we could be here for weeks, but let me just tell you what it means to me after we read it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are these things? The needs of life. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do you seek first the kingdom? By following the king. <laughs> the kingdom 
is all about the king and his ways, his righteousness. Let me tell you what this passage means to me and how I interpret it practically. It's this way. I want to make it about the king and his name is Jesus. And in my life, here's what I want to be the guiding focus of my life. Listen carefully. Jesus above everything. Jesus before anything. Jesus above everything. Everything this world. Jesus before it all. Above it all. And Jesus before anything. What does that mean to me? Lord. Whatever you and your grace see fit to give to me. And all we have is his. I will give of myself. I will give of what you give to me back to you, Jesus, before anything else. I will not first give to myself. I will not first take care of my wants, my wishes, and then give my leftovers to Jesus. It's not about the size. It's not about the amount. But I want Jesus to be before anything. And oh friend, how that brings peace and hope. Jesus above everything, Jesus before anything. And then focus on living a present tense life. Live today, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. What's Jesus calling us to here? A present tense life. A present tense life. To live for today. Someone as well said, Today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. <laughs> live for today. A story of a great Bible teacher and college president that I heard decades ago has stayed with me. Little phrase. I've never forgotten it. Some of you here, you've heard it before. If you stay and the Lord keeps me here, you'll hear it again. <laughs> Great Bible teacher, his name was Henry Ironside. Pastor of the Moody Bible Church and Moody College in Chicago. During the Depression, terrible financial crises everywhere. There was a need, financial need of the college coming due. It was literally worrying and worrying and worrying. Henry Ironside, he was 
So he called the members of the board together. Explained the terrible situation. What was going to happen. They had to have this money. We're going to lose everything. Finally, one of the board members said, Well, Harry, when do we need this money? And he said, Friday, we got to have it by Friday. And the man said, Harry, it's not Friday yet. That has helped me so much. It's not Friday yet. It's Sunday. Just live Sunday. It's not Friday yet. And guess what? The God of eternity is already in Friday. Amen. He's already there. Amen. Let's focus on our Father's love. Let's focus on His Lordship. And friend, I just want to challenge us. Listen. Let's live. Live. Don't waste your life. Living for wealth. Don't waste your life living in worry. Just look to the Father. Listen to the birds. Look at the flowers. Let them preach to you. They're better preachers than I am. And then just live. Lord, we come now to the close of this service and Lord we come to give you this offering and Lord I pray now that as we do we will come with great thankfulness knowing that what we give either today or any day we give what you've given to us you are Jehovah Jireh and so Lord as we sing let us sing now as we come to the close of service help us to sing to you and then Lord as we give, may we not give to the church. Lord, may we give to you as an offering. We thank you and praise you. And Lord, be blessed as we sing. Be blessed as we give now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.